You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. 30 million Americans still can't read, so our goal is 100% literacy for the nation. So we have work to do. It's an enormous problem, but it's a worthwhile endeavor, and we're excited about trying new things. We do have results from last year's programs, and we were really pleased to see that, on average, parents made gains of 2.3 grade levels in nine months, which is huge. So our programs must be doing something right. Public libraries are about people reaching their individual potential and for a community reaching its potential. When you're at the public library, you're around other people who are nourishing their souls. And that is a fundamentally healthy endeavor. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 166, Books, Libraries, and Health, airing for the first time on Sunday, November 16, 2014. Early literacy is critical to health and wellness. Today, we speak with Doro Bush-Cook and Becky Dyer of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, a national organization founded by the former First Lady of the United States that has been promoting reading for the past 25 years. We also discuss the impact of libraries on individual and community health with Dr. Sam Zager and Steve Pagoni, Executive Director of the Portland Public Library. Thank you for joining us. As listeners of Love, Maine Radio know, literacy is a big focus of mine. Um, It has been for a long time as the medical advisor for Raising Readers, which is a literacy program that gets books to children at their doctor's offices here in the state of Maine. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about reading and the impact of reading on children and their families. The two people who join me today uh, have spent a lot of time thinking about the very same thing, and it's really great to have these individuals to speak on the subject. I know they're just as passionate about this as I am. Our first guest is one that we've met before. Um, This is my friend Becky Dyer, who is the Director of Research and Program Development for the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. And our other guest is one I have just met, but um, already have a great deal of respect for the work she's done also for the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. This is Dora Bush, who is the co-chair. Thanks so much for coming in and having a conversation with us about family literacy. Thank you for having us here. Mm-hmm. And we had Liza McFadden come in, also from the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. She came in all, all the way from Florida. And right. Doro, you're here all the way from? Well, I'm from Bethesda, Maryland. And I'm fortunate enough to spend my summers here in Maine, in Kennebunkport. 
because you happen to have a family connection. Right. So my parents um, are, are, live on Walker's Point. My father was the 41st president of the United States. And then, of course, my mother is Barbara Bush, and who is the driving force behind um, the Barbara Bush Foundation. She's, um, I'm now the co-chair with my brother Jeb, who has a passion for education and literacy. Um, and my mom will tell you she's stepped aside, but um, she's still involved, and we're happy about that. Why is literacy so important to your family? There are so many different things that you could have focused on. Well, I think um, my mom saw firsthand um, with one of my brothers, one of her children, um, who was dyslexic, how difficult life can be if you can't read. And from that experience, um, she began to research and realized um, how important it is to um, have the skill of reading for, for life. Um, if you can't read, you can't take care of your health. If you can't read, you can't fill out a job application. Um, and so she's 25 years ago, she became passionate about literacy and has not stopped. What about your experience with, um, with dyslexia in your family? I mean, if this was your brother, mm-hmm. you obviously had a front row seat to the, to the difficulties that he had um, when it came to school and living. Right. And Neil was amazing. Um, he, he struggled, he read backwards and, um, and then he something clicked and he began to overcompensate and he began to um, try very very hard to get beyond it and um, it made him very motivated in life to do things well and he was able to um, to get on with reading and his life and has been very successful ever since but I remember as a little boy it was tough um, in the classroom he was you know all, it was discouraging you know he, he was getting bad grades he was um, you know he was it, his self-esteem was very low and all of that and and mom saw that and she spent hours with him and um, but things are good now and um, he's passionate about literacy too. In fact, he runs the our Houston initiative um, of the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. So, Doro, you raise a good point, and that is that um, the family, and sometimes the mother, sometimes the father, sometimes another parental type um, influence, has a lot to do with literacy. Has a lot to do with helping kids read. Becky, is this something that you've um, spent time with as you've um, as the director of research and program de- de- development for the foundation? Is encouraging families to really get involved in helping their children with reading? Absolutely, we're looking at new ways constantly to get families engaged because we know that children's brains develop. Um, early and we need to reach them before they go to school. So there are simple things that parents can do, for example, when um, you're changing a diaper. You can sing to the child, you can talk to the child about what you're doing. If you're putting laundry in the washer, you can talk to them about whites and darks and just some simple things. It doesn't have to be an extra activity, just part of your daily life. 
um, simple little things that you do as you build your child's vocabulary, that's what's going to help that child learn to read. So you're talking about before they even start to um, sit down with a book, before they even go to kindergarten and start learning their letters, you're talking about putting words out there and consonants and syllables so that children can start to hear these things and process them. And that's what makes the brain connections. So from the time they are born, you should be talking to them, singing silly songs. You can dance around the room with them so they can feel the movement while you're singing. Um, Just any simple little thing that involves language. Um, Just keep talking to them. Even if you feel like an idiot because you're talking to somebody who's not responding, you need to still talk to them. Dora, your story really rings true um, for me because my brother had an auditory processing issue. So he could read fine, but he wasn't able to process what was going on around him well. So this learning disability caused him no end of frustration. Um, He would kind of focus in enough over the course of a school day to kind of get what he needed to get done, but he would come home and he would just explode. He would just be so, it would be so difficult. And I remember all the time that my mom spent with him trying to kind of help him find another way of dealing with the information that the school required. So it is a, it's a big deal. It's a big thing that a parent needs to start doing if there's some sort of issue that comes up that is beyond, beyond the norm, let's say. Yeah. And and the thing about that is that um if you if you're the parent and you can't read, you're never going to break the cycle of illiteracy. I mean, you can't help your child. You won't notice um those things. And so that's the whole mission of the Barbara Bush Foundation is to advocate and establish literacy in every home. And that's why we 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 need the complete involvement of the family because nothing will happen if you you'll go home you know the child will go home and and the parent is watching television you know and so we need to get the entire family involved and that's a good point doro that television does not replace the parent talking to the child i've had parents who have said well i put my child in front of the television so they're hearing vocabulary words but that's very different from the parent engaging that child with vocabulary so when you're right there talking to them they can see your mouth move they hear it you they can sense it if you're doing you know manipulating things with them It's very different than sitting someone in front of a flat screen and expecting them to gain language. Right. And there's also an emotional thing that takes place. If you are a child and you're with someone that you care about and they're suggesting that you read a book or even they're just having a conversation with you, that's going to have much more of an impact on your brain than if you're sitting in front of a television that has no interactive component and you have no emotional attachment to that's right. And I think everybody wants to be loved. And if you can tie together the reading with cuddling up with your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your grandfather or your brother or your sister, there's that, I mean, there's that um, double whammy, really, of having that reading time together and then having that love connection with with people that care about you and that if you have love and you can read imagine where you could go i think it's also interesting the way that you're describing and i think that love is something you're absolutely right and i and i know that all of the happy memories i have 
of um, reading to my children, there is that. It was actually really good for me as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually really miss now having kids, two kids in college and an eighth grader. I really miss that time with them, that bonding. I actually was thinking about when my daughter was a baby and having that ability to just hold this child close to your heart. And I think that when you read to them, that creates memories all around. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think that's right. What if you are a parent who doesn't read? I think you um, you alluded to this, that some parents don't know how to read and they don't feel comfortable, and so it becomes a, an internal struggle for them. Well, I think, and Becky can, can follow up, but that's what we do is to provide wonderful programs that not only um, provide early learning for children, but also... Um, we have those same programs um, teach the adults to read as well and then the adults and parents come together in these programs and reinforce each other and so um, we encourage people who can't read and a lot of people are afraid to acknowledge the fact that they can't read um, to go to the Barbara Bush Foundation website and see what kind of programs can help um, because those are the kinds of programs we're creating and funding and what do you think Becky? Well I I agree with you Um, we have five of those programs here in Maine but we you also um, if you can't read pick up a book and turn the pages because your child is learning a simple literacy skill in how a book opens and how the pages turn point to colors it's a red balloon it's a green ball it's a brown dog they're learning their colors point to you know um, shapes that's a star that's a, a circle those types of things are building literacy skills as well something you can do very simply at home So even if you can't read the words, you can still engage the child with the book, and that's very important. But if you can't read, you really need to seek help. And we have great programs through the Barbara Bush Foundation. We also have a great system of literacy volunteers in this uh, state, and we have a pretty robust adult ed program. So I would encourage any parents who are struggling readers to seek help in any one of those um, locations. You've had some new initiatives, I believe, in the last few years um, with family literacy. Do you want to talk about those? Sure. We're really excited about our Teen Trendsetters program, and we've brought 22 Teen Trendsetter programs here in 11 counties. And um, these are programs where first graders um, are paired with high school students, and they spend an hour um, each week together and they read and um, it's a great program and we had a pilot program here or we've had a pilot program here already and recently um, we had the opportunity to talk to um, an adorable first grader and her mentor and hear um, how really great um, this program is and it was very cute once um, these two were paired together and then the summertime came and they bumped into each other at the um, grocery store and the little girl came running up to her mentor and saying you know how are you how are you I'm reading this I'm doing that and so they created this incredible bond and it's as beneficial for the first grader as it is for the mentor the mentor was you know loving having this relationship and so 
It's it's a good program. Great yeah. program. It's a great program. Actually, the pilot in Wyndham, the first graders started on average in middle kindergarten with reading when they started first grade. At the end of the program, they ended at the end of first grade with their peers. And the aside benefit for the teen mentor, other than earning community service credit, was that they polished some of their own reading skills. So we had several um, mentors come back and say, oh, I'd forgotten about pre-reading. I'd forgotten that I was supposed to do that. And now I'm using that skill in my own homework, and it's helping me. And an additional benefit is that some of these young mentors have decided to go on to become teachers. And as our educational workforce is graying out, we need some of those young um, people to choose education as a career. So it has multiple benefits that way. The biggest benefit for us is obviously the first graders being able to read on grade level when they leave first grade um, because we know that they're learning to read at that age. And they advance. Um, by doing this program, they advance a year. Um, in nine months. In nine months, which is pretty remarkable and a great achievement for the first grader as well as the high school mentor. Here on Love, Maine Radio, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Wouldn't it be great if we could spend our days doing all the things we dreamed of while gazing up at the stars on a crystal clear night? Yet for most people, and I include myself in that group, the realities of daily living prevent it from happening. We all have responsibilities to our employers, our families, people who rely on us to be there for them. But what if you could get to a place where you're able to reinvent yourself and start a new journey that was more fulfilling? What if you could define what true north meant and find your star and start walking towards it? What if you had the money to embark on a second life because financial worry had fallen off your radar. This, my friends, is what I call the seventh state of your financial evolution. And while I'm certainly not there yet, I'm here to help you get there. It's time to evolve. Get in touch with Shepherd Financial and we'll help you evolve with your money. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. Love, Maine Radio was brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. How do you help those people who are also not just, not just teachers, but how do you help all the people that are surrounding a child as he or she is developing to encourage literacy? Well, one of the biggest things we do here in Maine is we sponsor the Barbara Bush Literacy Connections Conference. This is mm -hmm. our seventh or eighth year. I think it's the seventh year. Uh, we're holding it at Thomas College. This year we're going to a two-day conference. It'll be April 1st and 2nd. 
And an example of one of what we've done last year, we had a keynote speaker from the Momentous Institute, which is a private school in Dallas, talk to us about social emotional um, behavior and its impact on literacy. She was so well received that people said, we want more. We're bringing her back for the pre-conference and she's doing a six hour training with lots of hands-on techniques for teachers, for librarians, for anybody who's touching um, the, the child. So we also have um, Nancy Stewart, who is from Washington State, and she's a musician who's played with several big names. When she had her children, she started looking at um, literacy and music and how they're related. So she says, how many of you learned your ABCs through the ABC song? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you have forgotten that ABC song? Put your hands down, and everybody's hand stays up. Mm -hmm. She's going to talk to us about the importance of music in literacy. And the other person that we have scheduled right now is uh, Laura Overdeck from Bedtime Math, which is a nonprofit out of Virginia, I think. And they have a whole process for teaching children math by doing little simple math problems at bedtime. So those are just some examples of some things that we have coming. We're still building the conference out, but um, this is our seventh year, and we touch about 260 people at this conference. Yeah, it is. I think that is really great. I mean, this is this is something that is going to continue to evolve. You, Dora, you are saying we'd like to eradicate liter illiteracy, and obviously mm -hmm. that's something that um, it's a good goal. Have you seen progress? You, the Barbara Bush uh, Foundation has been around now for two decades. Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years, and we have seen progress. And. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned before, 30 mil million Americans still can't read. So our goal is 100% literacy for the nation. So we have work to do. But um, I think we're excited um, to take the Barbara Bush Foundation into this new direction of trying all these new things. And, you know, I just think um, it's it's... It's an enormous problem, but it's a worthwhile endeavor, and we're excited about trying new things. We do um, have results from last year's programs, and we were really pleased to see that, on average, parents made gains of 2.3 grade levels in nine months, which is huge. So our programs must be doing something right. Well, I appreciate the work that you are continuing to do um, in the field of literacy, certainly not only as a, as a doctor, but also as a mother and a member of the community. I see the importance of reading and of having a facility with um, language written, spoken. And I really think that um, for me, it's also fostering communication, which is something that as human beings, we all benefit from trying to understand each other. So if we can understand somebody better by being able to read their story or by being able to see it on YouTube and understand their story, I think it's really a kind of a great and amazing time to be in the world. There's so many connections that are being made. So I appreciate all the work that you've been doing. Um, Becky, tell me what website people should go to to find out more about the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. It's www.barbarabush.org. Doro, thanks so much for coming in, and please give my thanks to your mother, Barbara Bush, for 
creating the foundation for family literacy. And um, Becky, thank you for being the director of research and program development for the foundation for family literacy. I encourage people to learn more about what's going on in this field because it's new and exciting and ever-changing and really worthwhile. And I can I just add one thing? Um, we rely, we're a public charity, so we rely on the generosity of people. And um, and so we just want you to know that and, and hope that you can help. So anyone who's looking to put their money in a good place, mm-hmm. consider the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy. Go to the website and find out more. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Thank Dr. Lisa. You. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk, and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe, look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. BoothMaine.com This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. As individuals who have been listening to the Love Main Radio show for a while understand, reading is one of my favorite activities. Today we have with us two individuals who understand the importance of reading of literacy and health and libraries. We have with us Stephen Pagoni, who is the executive director of the Portland Public Library, and also Dr. Sam Zager, who is a family physician at Martins Point Healthcare in Portland and a volunteer with the Portland Public Health Department. The two collaborated on a research project in which the aim was to document and clarify any associations between health and public libraries. What emerged was the Health and Libraries of Public Use Retrospective Study also called Helpers, and some fascinating findings. Thanks so much for coming in today. Our pleasure. Thank you. It's an interesting thing for me to be um, in a room with people who have a mindset that's similar to mine, because that doesn't always happen. So I'm with you, Steve. You've been, uh, you've been working with libraries for maybe your entire career, or at least a pretty long portion of it. Yeah, the last uh, 30 Five years, 36 years of uh, working in public libraries, the last uh, 33 or so directing them, so in Maine. In Maine. Yeah. Uh, I knew when you were up in Brunswick, I know you're a longtime runner. As I was saying to you before we went on the air, I used to see your name up in the 
the winner's circle um, quite often at races. And then, Sam, I've never met you, but you went through the Maine Medical Center Family Practice um, Residency Program, which is where I went through as a family practice resident, and you trained with my father, Charlie Belisle. I did. It was a ter- terrific honor. Um, I was uh, so um, grateful to have the opportunity to train here uh, at Maine Medical Center, and it's uh, given my wife, Tracy, and me a chance to um, establish roots here. We're, we're glad to be here in Maine. So it's interesting work that um, you've been doing, Sam, Dr. Zager, but it's work that started before you even got to Maine. This is something you became interested in when you were living in Boston, and you saw that um, there was some chance that a public, public library branches in places that were less well-off than where you were living were in danger of being closed. And this became important to you. It really did. Um, I, as with a lot of things, I think, in life, you sort of stumble into it because you realize that something that's happening around you matters. Um, <clears throat> in 2010, I was indeed living in Boston, um, and there was a proposal to uh, cost, cut costs by shutting down some branches in five uh, neighborhoods in Boston. Uh, and initially, it seemed to make sense, uh, but when uh, I found out more about it through uh, an organization that opposed the closures called the People of Boston Branches, organized by a very energetic um, young psychi- psychologist named Brandon Abs, uh, that these were branches in less educated uh, and poorer neighborhoods, which just seems fundamentally wrong. Um, but as I got more involved with the, uh, the advocacy effort, uh, I posed the question, well, is it also unhealthy? Is it also bad for the public health and for individual health to shut down access to all the things, not only circulation items, um, but all the services that libraries uh, provide as they're embedded in their neighborhoods. And you ended up um, helping reverse that decision. It was, uh, I was one of many people, um, but what what I think the role that I played was in uh, really making the health argument. Um, I dug into the literature in the uh, medical journals, uh, public health journals, uh, social science journals, and looked for everything I could to see what we knew about the intersections between health and public libraries. Not only reading, um, but the libraries as entities in and of themselves. I found a fair amount of indirect evidence uh, through two main mechanisms. One is that uh, libraries uh, certainly are good for our education and literacy, and both of those are very good for health. The, that connection is well documented in many spheres. But in addition, it was had something to do with social connections. The social bonds that people have uh, are fundamental to health. Um, this has been shown in um, many organ systems, in many fields of medicine. Uh, people recover from strokes faster, for instance, if they have good social connections. And libraries are very important uh, neighborhood-based um, places where people can make connections with others. So it's not just about the, um, the, the text that can be transmitted over the internet or the uh, saved on a thumb drive, but there's something about the institution that I thought was important. And I wasn't the only one. I um, found some co-signatories to this um, position paper that were eminent in their fields. Um, 
among these uh, you know, 19 co-signatories, there was a National Medal of Science recipient, which is Congress's highest scientific award. There was a Nobel laureate. Um, so these were not people who just also just thought, started thinking about um, what makes people healthy and what makes communities healthy. They, um, they signed on. Um, I presented this consensus statement as an as a, as a um, uh, expert opinion to the uh, Ways and Means Committee, Committee of the um, City Council in June of that year. And um, indeed, by July 1st, all of the libraries had uh, received the funding, um, even in these endangered neighborhoods, which was ter terrifically gratifying. It left me, though, with a, a little... Um, so I noticed that there was a gap in the research, or there, you know, there was this was predicated on expert opinion. But as as I think you know, that's actually the lowest level of of, of scientific evidence. It's literally opinion, uh, certainly qualified. But I was looking for something that didn't exist, which was empiric, quantified evidence of a connection between libraries and health, and that's what helpers became. Well, let me back up because I want to. I give you a lot of credit for doing this because it sounds like you were actually doing this while you were simultaneously um, completing your medical education. I was, yes. And we have two daughters, which um, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> were born, born during, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, it, like, things don't always happen when you plan on them. Um, my wife, Tracy, is, is an incredible partner and, and has uh, made a lot of things possible. Um, and we mm -hmm. try to do that for each other. Well, as I say, I give you a lot of credit. It's, um, it's really gratifying because I think we're in a time where we all have to understand that health goes beyond the room in which a doctor and a patient interact. And Steve, I know that um, for you, public libraries have been so important in your entire career. Right. It's something that you really felt passionate about. I'm wondering, though, when you started this whole process, were libraries as important as they seem to have become now, or, or what has the progression been? Well, I was on sabbatical when Sam first uh, brought this up, and uh, someone said, wait till I get back. So um, I came back, and um, I met Sam, and he brought up this gap in the research. And um, I remember we had the conversation. Uh, I think Sam said, well, how do you know? You know how would how would you articulate that the library is good for community health because we have a health team, so we have a series of what we call constituency or user teams, and they we identify literacies that we would love to promote in the community. So some of them can be civility, science and technology, business and government, Portland history. One of them happens to be health. So the point of this team is to do everything it can to contribute to a healthy Portland and healthy individuals. And um, what I said to Sam was, well, you know, public libraries just assume they do quality work about developing collections. People take the things out, or they buy databases, take them out, and hopefully some good comes of it because it's good stuff. But you never know whether there is this association or whether someone's behavior changes, whether they seek out a health care provider. Uh, what triggers result from from someone using library resources. So I was terribly interested in this, in this idea that Sam had 
about seeing if we could, if there was a relationship, could we establish it, could we demonstrate it? And uh, I knew that it was something that didn't exist um, uh, or thought it didn't exist in the public uh, library world because I hadn't seen it anywhere. And yet it was a terribly important um, area for us to investigate. After all, we were designating uh, that it was an area of interest for us. So these areas of interest that you're describing, when you first started work with um, within the public library system, is this something that existed then? No. No, I think the, um, I mean, a lot of places use a team strategy. I, I suspect Martin's Point does and, and maybe even um, the magazine does, you know, that you, you have different things. But public libraries have this uh, unique ability to interpret their relationship or their mission any way they want programmatically. I mean, they all do similar things, like they lend stuff. They have databases. They have a, a digital profile. They have a physical profile. But the idea for us to make a statement that this was one of the areas that we wanted to focus on uh, is actually a very powerful statement. And so you can build, uh, I'll refer to them as literacies again, uh, about health knowledge, health education, uh, living a full and productive life on many levels, whether it's civility or knowing things about science and technology for, for contributing to public debate. But this idea of living a healthy life physically and emotionally is very, very important to us because it's, in the end, the public libraries are about people reaching their, their individual potential and for a community reaching its potential. One of the things that we um, discussed early on in, in this whole process was that we're, we, we kind of see ourselves in the same business um, of, of helping people realize their full potential. Um, as, as you know, as a physician, if somebody's not well, if they don't feel well, if they're not physically well, they, they can't realize their full potential. And, um, and that's um, largely what libraries do. And so uh, there was a tremendous uh, kinship, I think, we had uh, yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, I think the engage, you know, we're essentially humanities-based institutions. We, people engage with the text through us often. And, and, and there are other things that, that elucidate or expand that engagement, such as programming. Um, but whether it's digital resources or print resources, that's what people are doing with us primarily. And there's expertise on the staff level. There are other things, but we have you know, 650,000 people visit the Portland Public Library System. It's the largest engagement with a public cultural institution in the state of Maine. So the opportunity that we have to, to now, particularly fired uh, by the re results of the study, um, to potentially affect in a very positive way, but now a much more intentional way. I would argue that prior to this study, our benefits were coming. We thought we were doing the right things, but this points, uh, this study points um, for us a way forward that can be a much more uh, discreet and intentional investment of resources, whether it's staff, uh, types of space, and uh, individual collections that might um, reinforce some of the findings from the study. I'm interested in this idea of space because the Portland Public Library just did a very large and beautiful renovation not too long ago. And having cared for the same patients that I know um, Dr. Zager cared for up on Munjoy Hill as a family practice resident, I know that this library space um, really is 
you know, I've done home visits with the patients, some of the patients who live in the Portland area, and not all of the people who go to the Portland Public Library fall in this category, but some of the patients, this is the more beautiful space. The Portland Public Library is far more beautiful than any space that they have the chance to inhabit on a regular basis. Right. And, you, you know, it's very interesting, the presence of art, the presence of furnishings and fixtures that are of a certain quality, all of these things as a public space um, are so important to well-being. And it's uh, Sam has a lot deeper thoughts on on um, on what these spaces might mean. But clearly, they're enter- folks are entering a space that is um, aesthetically beautiful, but there are also behaviors happening there that are healthy, for the most part. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. This um, research study that you did, the Health and Libraries, a public use retrospective study, also called Helpers, which you have presented at the Maine Academy of Family Physicians um, meeting and won an award for. You've gone to the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine and presented there. Um, this had some interesting studies, with, specifically with regard to health. So tell me about the study and what did you find? So the study, Helpers, is, it was a retrospective study. Um, we had uh, 243 people consent to enroll. These are all adults who live in Portland. Um, they're all eligible for Portland Public Library cards. And um, they um, understood through the consent consenting process that uh, the we would take discrete items from their medical record and uh, connect that in a um, in a secure research database with any records that the public library may have about their uh, quantity recency um, and um, duration of, of their borrowing we did not look at, at any titles the library doesn't keep those data in in their records and we also that was not the interest of the study uh, we also did not even look at uh, the types of materials that people borrowed in other words if somebody borrowed something uh, whether it was a, a a book a dvd a piece of sheet music it all looked the same in the study so we consented these individuals and um, uh, then went about the, the technical task of, of marrying these databases and we uh, looked at demographic information, age, gender, um, insurance type as a proxy for socioeconomic status. We looked at health variables such as 
um, BMI or body mass index. We looked at blood pressure, and, and we also looked at diagnoses in the so-called problem list. We wanted to know what um, problems their providers had, had identified and, and, and these uh, individuals were, were working on for their own health and wellness. The library variables, as I, as I mentioned, included essentially circulation information. So what we found was that um, some really interesting things. The, uh, indeed, the experts back in 2010 were on to something. There is a connection between health and public libraries. Uh, the improved clarity was that the, um, the connections centers largely in, in mental health, in particular depression, anxiety disorders, and especially substance abuse. There was some consistency in, in the findings, for instance, in s smoking and drug abuse. And mind you, these are uh, this is not uh, a survey. Or, you know, do you smoke? Or but this this is um, very reliable medical chart information. And um, so we found, for instance, that um, among those who had ever smoked, and this is that's that's more than it's about half the study population had ever smoked in their life. Those who used the library at least a moderate amount were had more than twice the odds, more than two times the odds of quitting smoking as those who didn't use it at all or use it only a little bit, which is fascinating to me. It kind of reminds me of, of like home fitness equipment. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a good thing to have, but it's it really is needs to be used if you're going to achieve what you want to achieve. I think libraries perhaps fall into that category. Um, it's not only good to have a groundbreaking on a library you know, in, in a community, but to invest in the library so that it can be, um, it can yield good things for the health and wellness of the community and in for individuals. So there was the, fi the finding about smoking, which was uh, fascinating to me. Um, that was also consistent with um, drug um, drug abuse. Uh, those who've been uh, to the library in the last six months um, had uh, statistically uh, lower rates of drug abuse than those who had so-called remote usage or hadn't been to the library for at least six months. So it's not just having the card, but it's um, which is obviously an important first step. But it's 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 using it and also using it with some regularity. It doesn't require yeah. that much, or at least we we found that there was yeah. there was uh, an association with just a little bit of ex of, of usage, um, like seven or eight items in a whole year borrowed put somebody in that moderate usage category, which um, was associated with um, smoking cessation, with uh, not being, uh, not having a drug substance uh, abuse problem, drug abuse. Um, it also um, had associations with uh, depre uh, depression anxiety disorders, which was uh, interesting in its own way. From this information, what can you, what do you think is going on? What do you think is happening? What is it about the libraries? Maybe is it the use of space? Is it the socialization? Is it, what is it that's causing people to engage in healthier behaviors or have less anxiety, less depression? It's a great, great question. We, we, we've been puzzling over this. Um, I think that there's potentially a number of things going on. Um, there's a a physician named uh, Nicholas Christakis, um, who has published out of uh, published in the New England Journal, published in the British Medical Journal, um, has done work at Harvard and, and now more recently at Yale, who looks at the social connections, this, how the social bonds affect health outcomes. This has been shown in uh, smoking cessation, obesity, uh, mood disorders, etc. So this 
Um, I, th I think part of what could be happening, and this is a hypothesis at this point, is that when you're at the public library, you're around other people who are nourishing their souls. And that is a fundamentally, he fundamentally healthy endeavor. And that can take many forms. And one of the beauties of public libraries is that they can be whatever you need them to be. Um, it can be a place where there's performing arts done in the community. It can be a place where people get voting or citizenship information. It can be a place where somebody literally learns to read. Mm -hmm. Certainly take out any of the things in the holdings. Um, the bookmobile um, goes out into the community and brings the resources of the library um, to where into individuals who don't necessarily have as much mobility or uh, ability to get to a branch. Um, so there's a number of things that libraries can do for people, and um, it's it seems that being around other people who are doing something that is uh, sort of life-affirming, that is healthy, that is forward-looking, is a healthy thing to do. And I think the, the sort of um, confirming that some of the programs that we were doing have this effect in retrospect, so things such as... Um, uh, uh, creative aging initiatives where we're going out to uh, various locations, um, uh, housing and various things that encourage um, seniors to continue creative enterprise, uh, aging, in uh, aging in place initiatives, basic outreach things that we're going out. Uh, Sam mentioned the bookmobile. So it, 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 is, um, it is a lot about the space itself, the physical space, but it's also about the relationship building. Uh, that happens with a public institution that, again, is not necessarily tr is interested in your growth, is not necessarily delivering a, a service, in quotes, or addressing a problem you have. It's interested in a very positive kind of interaction in how you're living your life. I'm struck by a couple of things. One is that some have complained about the negative impact of technology upon human development, relationships, health, that sort of thing. But you're a library, and what you've just described to me is more than just books. It's about right. digital access. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very multi-platform um, right. thing that you're offering the public. So you're using technology in a very positive way yeah. through the library system. And also, Sam, you never could have done this project if you did not have access to electronic medical records, I suspect. So both the library's right. electronic records and your records had to be available in order to even do this study in the first place. Right. So these are very positive uses of technology. Right. right. I, I mean, I think people are, you know, I think it's our propensity to, uh, you know, as, as individuals to do either or. So, you know, you have these... Um, uh, people making broad assumptions that because there's digital reading, there's no longer print, print reading, or because you can stay at home and, and search databases, or you can, you can search the catalog. Well, a lot of times searching the catalog says, I've identified something uh, either at Portland Public Library or Bowdoin or, or Bates or the University of Maine or Bangor Public Library. Please deliver it to our Burbank branch. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful thing. It's all about active minds and people reading potential. In the end, when you distill it, the the, the vehicles don't matter. Um, but what does have to exist is a is a public infrastructure for public for public learning that does not require enrollment, 
It does not require a certain socioeconomic class or membership in a faith. It, 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 it just needs to be there for people. And Sam's earlier comment was a really good one, which is the public library can be for people whatever they want it to be, almost in whatever area of inquiry or excitement is currently you know, in, involved in their life. Well, I think that's a really good point. And I think what's nice for me to hear is that we've had people on the show who are educators and scientists and nonprofit leaders. Um, and for all of them, the, the sort of numbers availability in our culture right now is so high that everybody's being asked to prove value. So in the healthcare system, you know, you're asked to prove that you can bring a person's cholesterol levels down and that they're going to live longer and stop smoking. And now the libraries are able to start justifying in a more tangible way, you know, that we are going to also help with people's health and, you know, education, cultural advancement, that sort of thing. I think the striking thing about the study, looking at it from the public library perspective, there was, there was nothing embedded in it that was a reach. In other words, we didn't do anything. The retrospective nature of it was very powerful because it was, a, a, we weren't doing anything that we don't normally do. So that, if you look at it that way, it's very, very powerful. So we're not, you know, we didn't uh, uh, rig something that we suddenly are doing this other great program and we had an isolated population that addressed it and we got X result. The, the po power of this is to go back and say, you know, what we do has real value, but now pointing forward, some of these conclusions really inform how we could probably leverage some of those results to a higher higher. Uh, efficacy or whatever you might say. I, I would add to that that, that the, there's two, two main implications of, of the helpers. One is that I think it, it prompts us to uh, recalculate our understanding of, of the re return on public investment in public libraries. And that's yeah. sort of what Steve was, was just saying. Right. The second thing is that I, I think it, it prompts clinicians to think about um, what does this mean in, in, say, a primary care practice? It wasn't that long ago that uh, reading itself wasn't considered a medical intervention, but now we have the Reach Out and Read program, and it's, it's a, an, a very uh, evidence-based thing that pediatricians and family docs do all the time uh, to recommend reading. And so what Helpers, I think, adds to that is it's, you know, that, that there's this other facet. It's maybe, may, perhaps, you know, with future randomized studies, we can uh, demonstrate that just recommending library use, library exposure, library utilization would be an evidence-based health intervention to do. So I think in both, both in terms of what we do as a community, but also what clinicians do within that one-on-one doctor-patient relationship, um, I think uh, helpers adds in both spheres. And I would be remiss if I didn't add in that Maine has its own version of Reach Out and Read, which is Raising Readers, right. um, which has been in place for um, almost 15 years now, I think. And the final thing that is done with the five-year-old, because children get books from birth to age five, is to give them their library card and they're supposed to go to their public library. So it's interesting that you, you know, this is where I started my career. You're coming in at this point, and it's really nice to be able to see that this, this thing that you're talking about is the value has been, is being proven. So how can people find out more about the helpers study or the Portland Public Libraries? 
Well, they can certainly visit our website at uh, uh, portlandlibrary.org, portlandpubliclibrary.org. We just changed our URL, so portlandpubliclibrary.org. Um, there's information uh, there under um, one of our research topics uh, called health. So there, we have some summary uh, there of the study. But they could certainly call us and um, at 871-1700, uh, extension 755. And uh, we could, uh, depending on the nature of the questions, uh, we would um, certainly refer them to Sam for some of the uh, uh, deeper, deeper uh, conversations around the study. And uh, my co-authors, uh, which include Dr. Christina Holt and um, Amy Haskins, who's an epidemiologist, um, and uh, Catherine Malin, who's a hard-charging medical student, and I are um, preparing a manuscript that we um, uh, hope will be out in the uh, not-too-distant future. Um, and uh, so we're, we, are, we see this as a conversation that we have started, not one that we have concluded. And so, of course, if they would like to reach you, Dr. Zager, you are at Martin's Point here Martin, in Portland. Martin's Point here in Portland on, on Veranda Street. Well, very good. I really appreciate the work you're doing with libraries, the work that you've been doing a long time, um, Steve, and the work that you're, you've been doing a little bit less long, but still in a very important <laughs> way. We've been speaking with Stephen Pagoni, the executive director of the Portland Public Library, and Dr. Sam Zager, a family physician, volunteer at Portland Public Health, and also researcher. Um, we appreciate all the time that you've spent trying to bring culture and reading and literacy and wellness to the world. Thank you very much, Thank you very much Dr. Lisa. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 166, Books, Libraries, and Health. Our guests have included Doro Bush-Cook, Becky Dyer, Steve Pagoni, and Dr. Sam Zager. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love, Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love, Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my daily running photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring the Love, Maine Radio show to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Books, Libraries, and Health show. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Our assistant producer is Leanne Wiemet. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our online editor is Kelly Clinton. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Mm-hmm.